Welcome to the ITSB Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new episode of Secure Your Strategy Podcast, where your host, Chloe Mestagi, provides strategies to leaders and managers on how to repair critical issues in security and tech. We're glad you've tuned in. It's time to secure your strategy and your stakeholder approval. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Secure Your Strategy. And with me today, I have Jane Franklin. And Jane, go ahead and say hello. Hi. I was going to go, hi. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it's okay if we wave to each other. People will see this, the video version if they want to watch it. But other than that, for those that aren't, you know, seeing the video, we are waving to each other. Um, But Jane, thank you for joining with me today. And for those that... uh, are not aware she also wrote this book called insecurity and i remember back in 2018 it was in my first year joining cybersecurity, and i was just going through a rough patch of where is diversity here in this industry and i wanted to understand why was i feeling so i have no words to describe it you just felt like Every single waking moment, you wish that you were silent and quiet in the room because other ways you will face shame. And it was, I felt very much alone and isolated. This was before I started like networking and like learning about all these different, several great nonprofits that help women in in this industry. And I remember going on Amazon looking for anything, anything that I could read about so I wouldn't know what is going on and if if it's just in my head or is this actually happening in real life to other women too. And I remember there was only one book about it, which was the this book right here, if you can see in the video, but if not, I will describe it to the podcast listeners. It is a gray silverish book that says insecurity, why a failure to attract and retain women's cybersecurity is making us all less safe. And I remember coming across this and reading it. And for the first time, I didn't feel alone in the industry. This was the changing moment was this book for me. And I remember that when I met with Jane, I was so so thankful that she wrote this book. And I cannot imagine how difficult it must have been to write about this book, you know, around like the Me Too era. But I'm pretty sure you already were starting this before then. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, that book happened as an accident. And what was really interesting was, you know, after I wrote it, because really it was a research project, I didn't realize that. You know, I was just doing something that I stumbled across and really thought, well, I want to share my my view initially, you know, on a blog, and then it became a book. Um, but I really wanted to help the industry and I wanted to help uh, women especially. But I didn't realize how alone women felt until after the book was published and women came to me and said, just as you did, you know, I I, I don't feel alone anymore. You know, and that was really, it was really quite shocking to me just how alone women women felt. Um, so it was, I really enjoyed researching that book and it really was a research project, you know, so I had to read like, I mean, there are 200 data points in that book 
And some of those data points might be 90 page, you know, <clears throat> research papers. You know, so I was not only creating new data, but also going out and looking, well, what does exist right now? What is the situation? Talking to women, talking to men, um, and, you know, lots and lots of people to hear their view and get their experience as well as tell stories you know my experience and what I'd I'd gone through mostly as a as an entrepreneur and then to like delve into some of the research and join it just a few things up and you know since the release of the book and then the me too movement happened I felt like this book was like that perfect timing when it came out because yeah. you know even though the Me Too movement was in 2017 and started, it was like a good number of years where suddenly women groups were getting funded, where we're starting to see more women have higher positions of, you know, authority and, you know, really being in the spotlight actually at conferences too. We were starting to see women, not the moderator for panels, but actually being the speaker, the keynote speaker. And, and then now we go through a pandemic and then through the pandemic, it seemed like a lot of women in our space just felt suddenly isolated alone again, where mm. they felt like they were taking on too much and the burnout rate was so much higher. And then now I'm feeling trapped again. Yeah. I mean, right now, I think it's, I think it's really, really bad. You know, we, we kind of got through the pandemic and, uh, there's just so much, so much burnout. And women, women, I mean, there's, I, I, I can't call on any data in, in cyber to do with women and burnout because it's just not been done. But certainly talking to loads of, of women and myself included, you know, it's, it's so much more for women because they just invariably are asked to take on more plus one roles, you know, more jobs. So will you just do this? Will you just come on? you know, a podcast, a video, a masterclass, you know, I do it. Look, I'm on yours now. You know, you've asked yes to it. There are so, so many asks. And I was having a conversation with someone today about this. And it's great that we are being asked and, and people are asking, including women who are asking, can you do this for me? But equally, we need to get better at saying no, because so much is just being put upon us. And, um, and it, you know, it, it's, it's hard to know sometimes like, well, what do I say yes to? What do I say no to? Um, and it's very, very easy to get caught out and end up not realizing just how close you are to burnout or that you're actually, you know, you've become ill because of, because of the, the situation. So, you know, I know for me last year, I didn't realize, you know, how close I came until I was actually giving a masterclass on it. And it, I was quite embarrassed because it's just like, oh my God, I'm recognizing some symptoms here. But that was good because it it meant that I could actually, you know, pull back a bit and, and say no more and actually be far more aware of it, you know, so I could protect, you know, my health and, and other things I was doing, you know, outside of outside of this industry. Yeah, that also that undertone of of society pushing, you know, young girls and even women to be people pleasers too, right? It's always like you you do, you don't want to say no for many reasons. One of them is because of people pleasing. It's been you know really ingrained in us to people please, um, and then also because the caretaker kind of 
you know, society pushes well on the norms. But then you also have this thing where if I say no to something, I'm going to be on someone's cutting board. If I say no to someone, they're going to call me the B word. If I put down boundaries to protect my safety and also, you know, making sure that I'm being paid for the work I'm supposed to do, I'm going to get laid off. That's, I mean, that's one way to look at it. And I think most uh, people, you know, we're talking about women here do, you know, so it's really playing into that scarcity mindset. It's just like, if I don't, then, you know, it's going to, it's going to pass me by or I'm going to be laid off or, or whatever. But it really, I think we need to shift that thinking and work on the basis that nothing passes you by. What's meant for you will not pass you by, you know, so hold firm you know, don't take on too much. This whole kind of quiet quitting business. um, Yeah, I think it's a good thing. Push back. If you don't feel that you can do it, because it's going to affect your health, or your relationships outside of work, because we we don't live to work. um, It's part of our full lives that we're having, then then you need to do that. So work on that basis, you know, so it is a kind of shift in that mindset and not playing into the fear mongering, and the scarcity. And you know, when we're when we're thinking about that, you know, tech layoffs, just before this call, I actually did a quick look at how many tech layoffs have happened. We're we're on day eleven in January. Twenty thousand tech layoffs already. You know, so last year we had an awful lot of that. So it's it's interesting how this is all kind of playing out because you've got a real situation there. And then you've got the mind kind of playing out. So I think it really is a case of holding firm and doing what you need to, believing in yourself, believing in abundance, that there is enough, there is enough for you. You know, if they cut you, if they lay you off, something better is on its way for you. You know, our industry is is actually buoyant. You know, although there are these layoffs, it's growing it's um, developing and it is actually pretty buoyant. So there is enough for you and you're going to be okay. So almost like course correct, don't play into that that way of thinking. Yeah. And what are some, I guess, red flags that people can see when they're interviewing, whether or not this is going to be a healthy workplace that, you know, really does you know, make it a priority to constantly keep improving on DEI versus a company that, you know, I would say like DEI washing, you know, kind of like greenwashing, but DEI washing. What are some signs that people can know ahead of time when they're trying to decide whether or not to interview with a company or even just whether or not to even accept a job offer? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I would look at places like Glassdoor, I would try connecting with people and asking them, you know, what what it's really like, because a company can give a great image, you know, the the perception, you know, that they are they're on it and it's a fantastic place place to work, um, just from their their websites and their marketing information and things like that. So I would ask I would ask around and look on Glassdoor, and um, and. Yeah, maybe even speak to some of the people at that organization if, if you can. I mean, sometimes that's, you know, that's available for you. Usually it is if you are more of an, a, a leader or moving into an executive, executive pos- position, um, then that is, is usually there. But 
you know, aside from that, um, yeah, it's it's really hard to know, you know, what it's like. But one one bit of advice I would give is when you do start a job, you might not want to put, if you're able, your position on LinkedIn. Because if you do get in there and find out that it's not the right place for you, that you know, it, it it's absolute BS as to what they've told you. It's absolutely dire. Then no one needs to know about that kind of, you know, that that um your your next job role at that company. You know, yeah. so you're kind of like limiting the damage, the risk. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Especially like I feel like the first three months, the ninety days, you know, companies usually put yeah. you in that situation of testing you out. You should be testing them out too in those 90 days. You don't need to put it on your resume. You don't need to put it anywhere um, if you can. And then, you know, I feel like usually you know how bad the place will be by the six-month mark. I feel like that's that's that turning moment where you are starting to be like, why am I feeling overwhelmed here? Why mm. do I feel like I'm too much in my head suddenly when I'm working here? I feel like that's yeah. like that. Yeah, <laughs> that golden arch. It's it's six three to six months. Yeah, you've got yeah. a good idea. And and vice versa as well. You know, but I would definitely agree with you on that. I'm I'm interested. Can you think of any other pointers, you know, from your experience, you know, that would be useful? Yeah. Um I know in interviewing, a good question to always ask is like, not only do you ask who would be your future manager, like what's your What's your style like when managing and leading people? And, you know, what are some of the things that you're constantly working on to improve of yourself by being a leader? But also to ask those that would be working on your team that you'd be working closely with, asking them, like, what is the leadership style on the team? Um, and try to get a feel of that and ask questions, diving a little bit more like, oh, do you have any examples of times where, you know, you thought you were that you felt disempowered or empowered in your job. I think asking that is really important. And I know sometimes people are a little bit nervous to interview the interviewer back, but the reality is it is a two-way street. You're also making a decision that's going to be impacting your career, but also your personal life too. So you deserve to do that. I would, I completely agree with that. I mean, it's just like, and I've, I've done that before. It's just like, I'm checking you out just as much as you're checking me out, it's a two-way process. You know, I'm making a decision, you know, on whether I want to come and invest my time, you know, with you. So I've asked about leadership styles, you know, what does a good 90 days, you know, look like? How are you evaluating me? Uh, what are your weaknesses? You know, so I've, I've done quite a lot of the interviewing yeah. of, of them, you know, checking them out before I make that next step. And the, of course, the other thing that you can do as well is you can ask about attrition rate, you know, if if they know it, if they'll give you, you know, an honest an honest answer. You know, what, how many, how many women are leaving your company? You know, how many women are are joining? You know, what are the figures? Because those figures can be massaged to tell a great story. You know, what are the percentages of tech women joining? You know, if you're a technical woman joining the the organization, what are they? As opposed to all all um all kind of like levels and roles being um uh you know added up together which is usually what's done you know it's like 
marketing, sales, operations, HR, you know, anyone, <laughs> you know, yeah. you're just there like increasing the numbers, making it look sometimes much better than it than it is. So I would always ask about the technical numbers and the attrition as well. Yeah, uh, absolutely on that. I remember one time I did ask that question in an interview when someone kind of was just like, why are you, why are you asking me about these statistics? And I'm like, well, I just want to make sure it's a welcoming environment and that there's opportunities of growth there. I mean, it may not be perfect now and that's okay, but at least constantly keep wanting to work on it. That's what I would love to see. And I just remember like after it's been like, beating myself up about like, oh, I should have not asked that question. I'm not going to get this role now. But then at the end of the day, it worked out in so many ways because if they have a problem with you asking such questions, that means it's not going to be a good place. That means they got defensive when they should have been there to support, to answer. Yeah, absolutely. And, the, and that's another great point because you can also ask, well, what support is that? You, you know, for me when I join, you know, what's the onboarding process like? You know, are there, is there a women's group um, that I can be involved in and, and so on? So, yeah, great points, Chloe. No, great points, Jane. I mean, like, you literally wrote the book on this. <laughs> but you also have been going into a new passion, which I'm, I remember when we chatted back in December. I was so enthusiastic to see that there's another person finally talking about sustainability because it's such a taboo for so many years to talk about in our industry because like climate change. No, yeah. that's too left. Why are you bringing up leftist, you know, stuff? Really and I'm just like, how is this leftist? It's facts. These are all facts. This is reality. This is happening right now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the situation is horrific. You know, it's uh, it really it's it's absolutely awful. I mean, you know, I I've done a few talks on this. I, I did an influencer piece with Intel recently, bringing up sustainability, and um, yeah, it's it's really not good. And we need to t be taking far more action than we are. This this is like the number one global risk right now. You know, and and quite rightly so when you look at what is happening i mean we've used a third of the world's resources in the past you know 30 years you know depleted them you know we've got something like 27 years left before according to some researchers before we run out of food 25 years left before we run out of fish you know 1.8 billion people are going to be without drinking water by 2025 and 50 of the world's 50 percent of the world's population are going to be um, in stressed drinking areas. You know, we are already overusing our planet's resources, you know, because of our consumption, because of our waste output. And that's to the extent that we need 1.7 planets to sustain us, you know, right now. So, you know, with all of these things, you know, the the weather, you know, it's, it's you know, that's the tip of the iceberg. You know, we have to be doing something about it. And when you listen to the likes of Greta Thunberg, you know, speak about it, um, you know, it it's it's heartbreaking. You know, you've got, she's older now, but she, her journey started as a kid. And like, wow, what an amazing person. You know, she is and how brave and courageous, you know, the trolling that she's had to undergo um, <sighs> and, and the power that she has, particularly as a child, you know, with all of that activism and bringing the world together to become more active about this. 
and and to do more it's it's really quite incredible but we have to do we have to do better and we can do better but we need more of a focus on this it should and i know it is written into a lot of policies but we need to be doing so much better on on this you know for the sake of our planet yeah and it's it's one of those things where even talking to ceos of companies and boards in cybersecurity so like cybersecurity companies i would say it doesn't even seem like it's on their radar. It's one of those things where it's incredibly controversial. And you just look at what's going on. You see the stats, even you just shared some stats. And and it just, it doesn't like go over their head. It's just, they're just like, okay. Yes. What does that have to do with me and tomorrow my business? Well, this, yeah, I. but this is it. It's It's like, it's not real. You know, it's like, what bit of this don't you get? You know, every single person has a part to play, you know, particularly at a leadership level, you know, in, inside of work and outside of it. You know, how are you how are you living? What's your contribution? You know, it's literally it, it, it has to be a number one importance. But I think the problem is, I mean, much like gender and the whole women inside is is they are so focused on the job at hand and they are under resourced and pressure extremely pressurized and they are just caught in the the depths of it it's just like okay what next you know how do i sort this out we've got you know cyber attacks coming data breaches etc 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 it's it's almost beyond them you know so it's but the thing the the thing is it can be and must be interwoven into every single thing that they are doing and the more aware of this then the better we are going to be doing because we are going to be using greener technologies. We are going to be using better approaches. We are going to be getting more of a diverse uh, workforce in place because they make better decisions and are less uh, wasteful, you know, so and we're obviously like reducing attacks when that happens. So all of these things combined, you know, shift left approaches, you know, when we're, um, you know, building technologies and things like that they all have to be have to be considered and and must be do you think that the reasons that there's such pushback is because i feel like cybersecurity the industry as a whole it's much more reactive because we don't have time to do preventative and basically if we were to change the conversation instead of being reactive what to do when you have the situation and make it more about how do we plan for these situations do you think it would be easier of a conversation? Because even today, like I think it, this is statistic is 73% of companies that may not have an incident response plan. They would go ad hoc. So that's already letting you know yeah. we're not even prepared for anything. When the pandemic hit, we weren't prepared for that at all as an industry. And still we're going to see more of that with climate change. More pandemics will occur. So how do we get that conversation shifting from being so reactive and start changing it to become more preventative? Oh, I don't, I mean, it's it's such a good question. I'm, I'm not really sure without help from governments, you know, without awareness. And also I think companies need to have, and some do, those targets. You know, it has to come from the top. You know, the fish rots from the head down. So it's got to come from the top. And the CEOs, the board, they've got to be making sure that 
the right questions are being asked, you know, in terms of all of these things, you know, we've just spoken about instant response plans. And to me, that's pretty basic, you know, and it's horrifying to think that the numbers are so high. Um, but we've got to we've got to be doing it. It's got to come from the top and we need support from the government. That's that's my view. Yeah. The other thing that came through in mind is so there's like ESG reporting, sustainability yeah. reporting. Uh, for those that aren't aware, ESG stands for environmental, social, and governance. And basically, if you were in finance, you put out these sustainability reports, especially if you're in the EU, it is part of the law now to put them out there. But also we're seeing this shift also happening in other industries, including tech. So you'll see, like, for example, Meta will put out a sustainability report. Uh, you'll see like Dropbox put out a sustainability report. And in those reports, it gives you all the demographics about, you know, when it comes to representation to what are they doing about climate change and getting ready for that. Um, do you think that somehow we can try to build out the conversation for cybersecurity companies to start using ESG or sustainability reporting? Maybe that would be that pressure. Maybe, like you said, government, it could be a government federal yeah. like response to that you have to put out these sustainability reports for people to have aware of what's going on. Yeah, I don't think they're going to do, unless there's a driver, I don't think they're, they're going to do any, any more than they have to. I mean, that's usually the case in business. You know, you'll get some great companies that that will do do that, but most of them won't, you know, because it, it eats up more resource, you know, for them to to do that because they've got to employ more people and they've got to change their ways. And they'll, they will probably have more of a short-term attitude to it as opposed to a, a long-term responsible um, global um, contribution to to the problem, yeah. and you know, if, if we think about cybersecurity as well, the other thing that I think really needs to be mentioned is just the the tenure of uh, security leaders. You know, which is low. So, you know, in terms of making these changes and things like that, you know, if if we know that on average um, a, a leader, a security leader, is staying in their jobs for two years you know, 22 months, I think, or less than two years, um, then how can they actually make real change within that? It's just it's just churning the whole time. Someone new comes in, they get in, have a look at the situation, put a plan together, and then, like, how they're off. And, again, it's just, like, repeat. Someone else will come in, and they'll put their view, and then they'll go. So we're not making as much progress as as we need to because of that environment. And when you compare it to like a CEO, a CEO's average tenure is four to five years. You know, so that's twice, you know, twice the um twice the tenure of a security leader. So it's yeah. like what's going on? You know, why is that? How can we make better progress? You know, not just in terms of our sustainability, but in terms of our, our data breaches and, and attacks. Do you think it's a lot of it's like around scapegoating, for example, like using someone saying it's their fault that this happened. Cause we see that happening all the time for CISOs. It's like, even the CISOs like, Hey, we need the following things or, Hey, I need more funding on this. And they get denied. But then if something were to happen, even though they've told and share the risks, they're like, no, we're not giving it to you. But now because you're going through it, you're going to be on the chopping block. You're going to get removed. And the blame is going to go on you that you weren't a leader enough for this you weren't good enough for this but in reality 
it seems like a scapegoat situation because the people that should be responsible are the ones that were ignoring the risks in the first place. No, I, I do think that has a lot to do with that. I really do. I really do. Yeah. What is the one thing that you hope that this year in 2023, because we just started 2023, that you want to see in conversations more than ever before this year? Ooh. Well, I de- in conversations, it's more, I want to see more action being taken. You know, so I'm a little bit tired of conversations, you know, particularly on the gender aspect. It's like, I'm done with that. We spent like, seven years, a decade longer talking about this. And we are making progress, but it's so slow. And in my opinion, it's too slow. So all we seem to be doing is talking about it. You know, we need to take more action and and real action, not just action that will satisfy effectively compliance, a report, you know, an ESG report or a you know a, a gender diversity report for a website or or, or some other kind of asset. Um, so I want to see action being taken um, rather than more talk, more conversations. You know, as far as I'm concerned, it's time to do. Let's let's get on with that. You know, we've been talking about this for too long. Let's just get on and do it. Yeah, it seemed like the gender thing was really taken up in 2018 where people were like, oh, we have to do better on this and taking actions and initiatives. But now things have it's weird. It's kind of like switching around with Roe versus Wade being overturned in the US, the Amber Heard case. It seems like women now in our industry are becoming a little bit nervous in a sense that we're going back to how things were before the Me Too movement. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I also think that that's happening because people are getting fed up of it. Oh, here's another woman banging on about it. You know, so that whole complainer effect, you know, so I think that's one of the reasons why. And, you know, we've always had, you know, this, you know, we want to be doing the work that we do because we're the best person for the job, not because of our gender or we're making, we're meeting, you know, a target, you know, gender diversity target. So I think, you know, we're becoming a little bit tired of it as well, you know, and and some of us are becoming even more cynical. You know, again, it's it's not really being talked about out there because there's a lot of fear. Well, I can't say that because I am going to be reprimanded in my job or it's going to affect my job, you know, or, you know, might affect me getting clients or, or whatever. So there is a tiredness of it. No, no, not again. It's boring. We've done yeah. that, you know, and and I think um, obviously like the re- repercussions and, and things like that. So. I think it's time for a a different, if we're having a conversation, it would be time for a different conversation. And the different conversation is probably about inclusion and um, being you in the workplace. You know, that's what, you know, my company says. It's about being you in the workplace and being more of your authentic self and being true to what you are and not tolerating and going out and, um, yeah, do it you know, getting, getting on with that, yeah. you know, excelling, thriving. Not being seen as being difficult, right? It's always like, anytime you speak up, she's difficult. Anytime, yeah. like throughout history, women have always been labeled difficult when they're asking for just the right to vote, the right to like have bathroom breaks and jobs. Yeah. Like if you yeah. look through it, it's always been, she's difficult. 
And I think we're still dealing with that to this day. We are. We are. We, we really are. Yeah. Difficult, you know, abrasive, um, too demanding, too much hard work, too challenging. Again, it's like too much. We're either too much or we're not enough. Yeah. You know, oh, you know, not technical enough or too technical. You know, it's, um, you know, not good enough. So, yeah, all of those things surround us. The seesaw effect. You just, you're always trying to figure out, am I on too much on this side or am I too much on that side? And then you get to a point in your life where you're like, I don't want to do this game anymore. I'm just going to oh, be myself. Yeah, this is it. You just kind of go, I was going to say something rude about it. Something very British, you know, it's just like, uh -uh. Um, yeah. and you just go like, you know, and, uh, and get on with that. Yeah. Well, you yeah. Yeah. Well, Jane, thank you so much for being on here today. It was lovely to have you. I look forward to having you back on in the future. Um, and hopefully it'll be us revisiting this one and then talking about how people finally took action. Exactly. Thanks yeah. so much. Thanks, Jane. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Secure Your Strategy Podcast with Chloe Mastagi, part of the ITSB Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then share this channel and ITSBMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.